previously on the Retro Rewind podcast. Hey, Francisco, you know how the first episodes are so not rated the way we rate things now? And we talked about going back and redoing them. Install the quantum jump drive into the Thunder Road 2. Re-Rewind is ready for jump. What's happening? The time jump sent me back to 1978. I have been watching the Superman movie while I attempted to repair the damage. All right, Alice, set quarters for Superman 1978. Francisco, are you there? Where did he go? He time jumped. We're not 100% sure, but it appears the captain may have gone to the movie Dark Crystal in 1982. The RR pod arrives in the year 1982, hoping their calculations were correct in locating their lost captain and his scout ship, Thunder Road 2. Immediately, their fears are relieved, seeing before them the lost ship, but their elation is cut short all too quickly. Great work! Where did he go? What happened? He was right there. Highly unusual. I'm picking up temporal traces again. Okay, so why does he keep time jumping? Are we sure he's even in the TR2 when it disappeared? Unknown. Scanning for his bio data, and there's none around. Francisco, if he was here, is no longer. Okay, can we track his time particles or whatever? It worked before, but again, we'll need a lot of time to decipher the residue and analyze and test and analyze. Okay, okay. Please continue to do so. You're all doing a great job. In the meantime, I guess we can review the movie The Dark Crystal. But with Francisco gone, I could use a little help. Uh, Alice, call fellow podcasters Peter Franson and Nathan James Norman from the Christian Geek Central Network to help with this episode of the Retro Rewind podcast. Yeah! Time hop through the movies. Time hop through the movies. Time hop through the movies. Time hop. Well, he was wondering if we could go back and revise our old reviews. So he time tested the scout ship and bam, trouble ensues. Now he's lost in the timeline and we're searching through the cosmos. Tell me where in time is Captain Francisco. Tell me where in time is Captain Francisco. Where in time is Captain Francisco. Where in time is Captain Francisco. Where in time is Captain Francisco? Welcome, and new listeners to the Retro Rewind podcast. Hey, do you ever enjoy a movie or video game from many years ago and wonder how it holds up today? Well, that's exactly what we do on this show. We replay and review the movies and video games that are 15 years or older to see if they're still worth your time today. So put on your nostalgia ears as we review the movie The Dark Crystal. You can find this episode at RetroRewindPodcast.com slash 167, where there are links to contact us, vote on the movies we cover, and more. And if you end up loving the show and want to see it thrive, you can become a reflux capacitor. capacitor. Which is what makes time travel possible. Thanks, Marty. Alongside our patrons... Jared Holzhauer, Deborah Powers, Brian Keaton... Patrick Hicks, L.J. Lowry, Chris Cohen, The Feeling Film Podcast, Chris Owens, Geek Devotions, The Untold Podcast, Mrs. Lomax, Andy Lewis, Peter Panda, and two other awesome patrons as well. 
Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Our Captain Francisco Ruiz is currently lost in the movie space-time continuum. But I, Paul J. Powers, your XO, have taken over command and continue to sail with you as always. This crew has nicknamed me Paul the Master Interrupter Powers, and we will see if that stays true as this episode continues. So to help me review this movie in absence of our captain, we are joined by a returning guest host, the ship's engineer, Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central. Hi, Peter. Hey, Farscape, Farscape. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what language you're speaking, but it sounds a little foreign. Anyway, this is your fourth time as guest host on the show, so I know you speak English. (laughs) And if you want to hear more from Pater and Farscape, you can check out our previous episodes when he mentioned it before. I forget which one he mentioned it on, but uh, we covered it. It was the Judge Dredd one, I think. Okay, that hasn't been released yet, I don't think. On That's our... exclusive right now. It's exclusive to patrons of both uh, the Retro Rewind podcast and the Christian Geek Central podcast, or uh, Spirit Blade Productions, as uh, that is. Yeah, so go check that out at patreon.com, and uh, you can hear more of Peter when we covered uh, the movie Predator in episode number 96. Last Action Hero was our episode together in number 181, and the movie Legend in episode number 144. And we also have joining with us as returning guest host, a member of the ship's clergy, Nathan James Norman from the Untold Podcast, and also from Christian Geek Central Network. Hello, Paul. Hi, Peter. Hey, hey. And if you want to hear more from Nathan, you may recognize his voice in our latest audio dramas, but you can also check out our previous episode together when we covered the movie UHF in our episode number 126, The Muppet Christmas Carol in episode number 134, and Highlander episode number 161. Thank you both for helping as we search and ask, where in time is Captain Francisco? Looking forward to hearing more from both of you later and also finding out how we each answered this movie's trivia question, which is... This movie has two directors, Jim Henson and Frank Oz. It has been widely speculated that it was Jim Henson who directed the good guy scenes, like scenes involving the Gelflings and the Mystics, and it was Frank Oz who directed the bad guy scenes, with like the Skeksis and the Gartham. So your trivia question for this episode is, you're in charge of picking two directors for a film. One, the good guy scenes, and the other, the bad guy scenes. Out of all the directors, who would you choose? Mm. We will each be answering that question as the show progresses. But for now, Peter, can you help us lay out a course for this episode? First, our roundtable discussion will consist of the trailer, synopsis, production details for The Dark Crystal. Then we'll discuss the top three things we liked and disliked about this movie. Then we'll follow up with our final rating of... Classic. Nostalgic. Or tragic and then check on our engineers progress in our search for the captain everybody got that aye aye alice rewind when ready search the land search the water search the sky alert alert approaching target spoilers are coming establishing analysis vector in a mystical world of good and evil. In a wondrous realm of fantasy and adventure. 
journey to another time, another place. Join in the struggle to possess the Dark Crystal. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check newspapers for local details. So that's the info the trailer gave us, but Alice, bring up the memory mind meld. Unable to complete request. Memory mind meld database has been replaced with a Tokyo containment unit. Initiating scanners, tracing back source of error. It would appear that when the impossibility drive belonging to Geek Devotions returned Dallas and Celeste to planet Geek Gurry, that a drive and Glick's Tokyo Bay was switched. Oh no, Dallas won't be happy. Alice, contact Glix and have her retrieve the memory mind meld. Hello, Alice. Thank goodness that you called. I was about to open com to you. Dallas accidentally ate some tokus made from your memory banks. Now he's saying strange things about someone named Jin. Oh dear. Glix, do you think you could patch Dallas's ramblings into Alice? Of course, Paul. No worries. But, we really need to get that taco dispenser back. Not sure how much longer Dallas can go without a taco. Opening com talk sync up initiating in 3, 2, 1. A quest for a magic crystal featuring an arguably creepy looking puppet, a gelfling named Jin, is sent out on a quest by his mentor, a giant turtle-like creature without a shell, to find a crystal shard, return it to and restore a giant dark crystal. A weird old lady that really needs a brawl takes her eye out and uses it via mystical Wi-Fi. On his quest, Jin is surprised to meet a dog creature and a female Geffling who has wings because he thought he was the only one left. The evil Skeksis try to stop him as strange potato-faced people get the essence sucked right out of them and become mindless zombies. When the stars align, Jin jams the missing shard into the dark crystal which melds the good mystic slow giant turtles with the evil Skeksis into something beautiful and all is right with the world. Hey Paul, do you know what's up with my taco machine? Um. Oh man. Hey guys, I think we should... Uh, Communication terminated. Um... Well, they're probably going to go bad anyway, but guys, let's save the rest for Dallas. And as far as those memories are concerned, well, some of that was right, but uh, Francisco would like us to find at least something wrong so we can play our Inception soundtrack. Um, Not the soundtrack, but the sound effect. Do you guys find anything? It was the wrong? name, the name, right? The name Jin? Yeah, yeah right? We, we spelled it J-I-N. Which has some uh, spiritual... I think that's Japanese for, like, demon or something. I thought it was it's a drink. Like, oh, well, mm. that's a G-I-N. But, oh, yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. Jen. I think, Go ahead. I think they didn't have Wi-Fi either back then. They had, like, oh, 3G, they had 3G or something back then. The, <laughs> no, it wasn't very strong, that's for sure. <laughs> it's mystical but, Wi-Fi. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, of course, they, may have not had, they, they might not have had bras in that world either, so... Maybe well, then even, that makes sense. Maybe but, not even an option for her. Uh, you know, obviously, they did not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's weird? I never noticed that until I recently went to a Jim Henson exhibit, and they had Agra, they had a Skeksy, and they had uh, Jen and Kira. Is that her name? Right. They, they had those four characters, and I did not realize. I was like, 
when I saw Agra there, I was like, how could I not notice that when watching the movie? It's very plain and obvious when I see it right there in front of me. But yeah, there's definitely that. Anyway, some of that was right, but unfortunately, some of those were... Boom, boom, boom. Based on those memories, as flaws as they may have been, what rating did they lead you to predict for this movie before re-watching it? Before, there's that tongue twister. Rewatching it. Again, classic, nostalgic, or tragic? Peter, what did you predict this movie would be before re-watching it? I predicted classic. Interesting. And Nathan... I haven't seen this for quite some time, and I thought uh, nostalgic. You know, I felt the same way. I haven't seen this in decades, and I said nostalgic as well, because I sure enjoyed it as a child and a little later. But anyway, so let's see how those uh, hold up. But first, let's go into the technicals, and our memories may not have been technically correct, but Peter, what are the technicals for this movie? The movie The Dark Crystal is rated PG, runs one hour and 33 minutes, and was released in theaters on December 17th in 1982. So it's also a Christmas movie. Uh, it was directed by both Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Yes, both have also been involved in other movies we on the podcast have covered, like... Uh, Jim Henson not only directed this film, he was also the main performer for Jen the Gelfling. He also directed Labyrinth uh, that we covered back in episode 13. And he played Kermit the Frog, Rolf, and Dr. Teeth in the Muppet movie that we covered in episode 41. Excellent. Frank Oz also not only directed this film, but he was also the main performer for Agra and Chamberlain. And he also directed What About Bob, which was in our episode number 88. And he played Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, and Animal while executive producing the Muppet movie back in episode 41. He also played them in the Muppet Christmas Carol in episode number 134. He provided the voice of Yoda in the original Star Wars trilogy, our episode number 79, as well as Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, Episode 141, and it looks like we still have to review Episode 2 and 3. Or do we? <laughs> <laughs> he played the wise man in Labyrinth, which was back in Episode 13. I don't remember a wise man back then, do you? That doesn't ring a, like a bell no, at all to me. Not at all. N Anyway, <laughs> he played Brian. Hey, Brian, he played a brain <laughs> surgeon in the deleted scene of Superman 3 way back in our very first episode, number one, which would explain the connection to Barry Denon, who provided the voice of Chamberlain. And by the way, I have seen that deleted scene from Superman 3. Oh, you have? Surgeon. Yes. It's when the computer goes nuts okay. and, and it starts like causing like power. It sucks power from the from all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so there's a scene where there's it's a very brief scene. It, it mm -hmm. would have been just a cameo if they would have kept the scene in, but they put it in back in for the TV version. And I think oh. you can also find it on, I think you can also find it on some DVDs, but there was okay. like a, a surgery happening and then the power went out and they're just like what, what what's going on and that was it you know anyway okay so barry denon provided the voice of chamberlain he was also dr mclean in superman 3 again in episode number one also many of these puppeteers were in the muppet movie covered in episode 41 and labyrinth covered in episode 13 
Right. And there may be others, and Francisco does a much better job at researching these. But for now, we'll end our list with Trevor Jones, who composed the music for this, and also the movie Labyrinth, again, back in episode 13. Sounds like an unlucky number. Hope that doesn't turn out in any way. (laughs) (laughs) The budget of this film was about $25 million, and it grossed over $40 million. Wow. Domestically. Yeah. I couldn't find out worldwide. Um, so that's pretty good. Wait a minute. You mean oh, 40 so million that... with worldwide, right? No. 40 that... million ro- oh, so 40 million domestically. Wow. Yeah. That's it was already that is, I thought I just I thought it was kind of like one of those movies that's really well respected and has maybe kind of a cult following, but kind of bombed at the box office. Yeah, no, no, it did well. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I wonder why it hasn't been a sequel yet. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good job, uh, Dark Crystal. And for the movie to have done so well, let's discuss the top three things we liked about the Dark Crystal. So let's start with Nathan. I liked the draining of the essence of the podlings. Mm. <laughs> Wait, you oh, liked yeah. that they were drained of their essence? <laughs> Absolutely. If we can market this thing, we can make millions. Millions, oh, no. I tell you. Way more than 40 million. Uh, if no. it's an energy drink, I'm there with you. But I don't want my name on it. Podlings give you wings. <laughs> no, what I liked is that it showed how evil the Skeksis were. It was just so terrible to watch and in fact i remembered this scene from when i saw it as a kid oh uh, yeah because it was so disturbing i mean you see them and they're scared and they're shaking and and then after their their faces are getting sunk in and you can see the breathing and the heaving of their chest in and out and oh yeah and the emptiness in their eyes and 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 they just so the the skeksis just so laissez-faire ah whatever and they they drink it and like oh it only lasted for a few seconds and worthless and and they didn't even care that they just ruined this creature's life yeah um they just uh, had no compassion or no care for life and so or even when kira was partially drained Mm. um you see her for the rest of the film and you can see the dark circles under her eyes and it just showed you the depravity the deep evil of these Skeksis, these creatures. So I, I thought that was great. I don't like that evil is done, but but from a storytelling standpoint, I think it worked very effectively to show how terrible these creatures are. I, I thought it was effective how lifelike it was. I've never had that happen, nor have I seen that happen, but <laughs> I can imagine it, it was very convincing to see that happening to them yeah definitely yeah i totally bought into that moment that was very haunting one of my it's it's one of my distant memories of watching the movie as a kid and watching it again it was the movie that it was the moment i think was maybe most engaging and and felt hauntingly real to me that was yeah really good stuff so yeah well done but not something that should be done well i don't know should not be done yeah, anyway. we, we, we shouldn't mimic it right yeah correct yeah. correct all right <laughs> All right, let's go to Pater. What's your number three? Uh, number three for me would just be like the amount of practical effects in general was just like really uh, fantastic. You know, I mean, there were some like uh, post-production effects, but they were few and far between. And even just like setting aside specifically like creatures and, and designs and stuff like that. But I'm talking about 
well, in the essence scene, okay. there there was the transformation of the puppet. We're talking about things that in other movies would be like makeup effects or maybe mm. like you know practical special effects of some mm. kind. Um, you know, so when the the their their cheeks sink in when oh, the yeah. when they drink the essence and the wrinkles go away oh, on his on his fast. hand. I was completely enthralled. Like, how are they doing this? My mind is blown. Yeah, I think it was probably some kind of a pneumatic, like a you know air you know bag inside a, a model hand or something that they would suck the air out of and then reinflate. Oh, that's my that's a guess. I yeah. really don't know. And it would look and it's and it looks so great. You know, it's uh, so really. Yeah, I just I'm a big sucker for practical effects that are done well and this movie just really delivered on practical effects yeah yeah i completely agree on that just because i i just remember just being just absolutely like a lot of my times i was catching myself how did they do that how did they do that yeah love the practical effects my number three was the music the score i thought this had a great theme and there were several moments throughout the film where the score was highlighted and brought and I think it just emphasized, and it's something that's I think I feel is missing a lot of time in a, movies today. Is this great score by Trevor Jones that uh... Paul? Are you there? Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I was listening. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I really like the score too. It didn't quite make my list of likes, but it was. I wrote it down on my paper here. And Trevor Jones also did the score for one of my favorite movies, Dark City. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the the theme that he created for this movie. Okay, uh, is that something that you'd recommend checking out for people, Dark City? For specific people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so read synopsis, folks, before you just blindly go and watch it. All right. All right, let's go to our number two, Nathan. I really liked the set designs. So the way they made this world, I think of right in the beginning as they're panning across the marsh and you see those twirly plants just take off into the sky. Mm -hmm. The idle face entrance to the Skeksis Fortress. I mean, that was just oh, yeah. so well modeled. Like that and sewer entrance. I totally forgot. that. But yeah. the extra detail to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks so good. And Well, and even once they make it into the underground part, you know, you got the cave and you've got the design. It looked realistic. It looked real. It looked like it was from another world, but also familiar. You have Agra's home, that uh, yeah. the, the orrery, that, uh, that the big planetarium the, that was the, circling around. Oh, I thought you were talking like a big cookie an oreo or something no but you're talking about <laughs> the oreo the, the, the time not a time machine but it does the stars like moving right. all around like that's right. fantastic yeah. Yeah. i i remember that as a kid and i would and i'm blown away and i'm i wish disney would do that with their Tomorrowland because theirs is far less than agra's agra's <laughs> was the best anyway right and but, disney could have bought it because this thing was already constructed yeah so it, was, it, it wasn't a cgi it was a practical effect it was they an could actual have made it better set. yeah i don't know how but oh, because it's amazing but yeah, yeah. but the set, the set designs the way the sets uh just made this world come alive and made me believe that these puppets were really living in this alternate world it's fantastic because that's also my number two is the details of the production design. You get into the the different, not only different fabrics have different textures, but there's different design patterns in those textures of the cloths that they wear, the cracks in the walls. I mean, even the walls themselves that are 
that they don't look tiled. They look naturally made. And these are huge sets. I don't know how they, well, they did it by plaster because I saw some of the behind the scenes. But it's amazing the amount of detail that went into just every little tiny thing, like in the wrinkles of the skin and the forestry of the grounds. And it's everywhere. The tiny details were taken such care. It's beautiful production design. So that leaves Peter. What's your number two? This is kind of like a more like a behind the scenes filmmaking kind of thing. It didn't. I just really appreciated the innovation, the ingenuity that went into how these puppets were performed. You know, I mean, when you think of puppets, typically you think of the basic idea of something that's a person sticks their arm up into and then operates it with their hand, you know? And, but this movie had creatures and puppets that were performed by performers, maybe even remotely, but they were so much more than just a hand up in some kind of a cloth thing. You know, there was like the, there was a little creature that rolled around independent of a human operator. Maybe they had like a remote control device of some kind there. Who knows how they did that? You've got like the creatures, the big walkers that are like basically people on stilts. Yeah. You know, performing as these characters and and then the 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 mystics. I a long time ago saw some behind the scenes on how the mystics were performed, and it involved kind of performers contorting their bodies and right. getting their arms up over their head and and operating, you know, at the, the mouth while their body is doing other weird things, you know. So yeah, just all that went into creating when you watch Star Trek. Um, and you see an alien, it's going to be some dude with Play-Doh on his face, basically. (laughs) (laughs) But when you watch a world created by Jim Henson's Creature Shop, it's going to be creatures that are not necessarily even humanoid. They're going to, you're going to see some fascinating aliens or creatures because of what these performers get creative and pull off. Yeah. And they move in lifelike ways. Yes. Believable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, so that leads us into our classic maker. The top things we like about the movie The Dark Crystal, and that, you know, Peter feeds right into mine, was the creativity, the the ingenuity that went into creating these creatures. And not only the creatures, but um, like I talked about the fabric and the costumes as well, and then the planet and the settings and the... And the story, there is just so much creativity in this on many different levels. It's it's like firing on all cylinders here of the creativity behind this. And it's just a fascinating world that invites you to dive deep into it. I think they did a great job pulling that off. So, uh, Nathan, what's the, your classic maker? Yeah, very similar to what you just said. The creature design for me is the classic maker. So you have, by far, I think the best design was the Gartham. Those big uh, crab-like beetle things that would go and chase down the villages. And they even have like action accessories where they've got to, you know, get the Gartham with the backpack. You can fit (laughs) several podlings in, you know. (laughs) (laughs) O't did they make toys? Because man, they could I don't I don't think though. I don't think so, but that would have been awesome. Um so you have that. You had like even things like the muck creature that came up out of the marsh when uh, Jen was stuck. Mm, yeah, and they put so much detail into just this thing that has a cameo, and then oh, like, that's oh, true. Well, and as we're panning away, let's show its family too. We're gonna make a bunch of baby puppets for some reason. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna be on screen for half a second. Yeah, <laughs> some giant roly polies there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the Skeksis, kind of I don't know lizard bird 
creatures, followed by the mystics, I don't know, the shellless turtles or whatever we were talking about. And, uh, oh, and even uh, the, the dog, uh, F- Fizzgrig, right? Who, uh, Fizzgig, uh, yeah, Fizzgig. Fizzgig, there you go. Who rolled around whenever he would move long distances. That was great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those creature designs were phenomenal and really, really brought this alien world to life and made you think, okay, this is a real place, isn't it? I can imagine yeah. a kid saying, "Okay, I want I want a dog like that." Yeah, I started calling <laughs> yeah. my dog Fizzgig after watching this movie because it's so. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't roll around like a furry now roll. roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter, that leaves you. What is your classic maker for? The Dark Crystal. Yeah, lots of overlap here. I mean, I, I would kind of use some of the same things, descriptions that you guys have used. I, I would try to maybe sum it up as just this movie is so imaginative, not only in the creature designs and the set designs, but I would pile on top of the lore itself. There's just like clearly so much going on. You can just, watching this movie, you just know that there's like a huge book somewhere that someone wrote that has tons of information fleshed out about this world. And so it doesn't shock me at all that this Netflix series, you know, is up and running and they probably have a great running start because of the work that was done for this movie. Clearly there's gotta be source material that they were, are able to dig out and use to be so far ahead of the game as they get this series rolling, you know, because of, I mean, so crazily fleshed out. This is one of the most imaginative worlds i've ever seen on screen yeah and it sparks imagination so they have a lot to pull from there yeah those are are the things that we liked about the movie the dark crystal and what we liked about this movie isn't trivial to us but speaking of trivia let's each answer the trivia question which again was you're in charge of picking two directors for a film one for the good guy scenes and the other for the bad guy scenes out of all the directors in the entire world who would you choose let's go with nathan just for fun i'm putting steven spielberg and michael bay together Ah. so Obviously, Steven Spielberg is going to do the good guy stuff because that's typically your protagonists and the longer segments. And Spielberg does a good job of that. And Michael Bay will get the bad guys because they usually have the action and all that stuff. And they hang on, did you say? It. Hang on, wait a minute. Did you say Michael Bay will get the bad guys, or he'll do the bad scenes? No, <laughs> no, no, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being harsh. I like some oh. of his horror stuff. I like some of his horror stuff. <laughs> I I don't yeah, know, I, but he does some amazing over-the-head tracking shots sometimes. Yes, <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Michael Bay does uh, some really good action scenes, and so I think it would be interesting to mash those two together and see what would happen. All right. Uh, Pater. Farscape is Farscape. Farscape. Uh, Paul, dang it. I, I said that. What? <laughs> what the crap, Paul? Okay. Uh, Yeah, you tell me. For those listening, when I got the script for this episode, he said that the question for this, the trivial question was going to be, what is your favorite Jim Henson Creature Shop production? And I was like, this is such a freaking softball for me. They must have, I mean, did someone tip him off that I'm like this huge five? I was, I was waiting, waiting to say, (laughs) Arscape! My gosh, but... (sighs) <sighs> so I, so anyway, uh, I, I will answer the question maybe. you want me to answer now, I guess. Um, so my answer would be 
for the bad guy scenes, I would go with John Carpenter. Let's mm. get some blood and gore into this. And like, I'm thinking John Carpenter's the thing specifically. Okay. Like, if we could get some skexies with like exploding tentacles coming out of them, that'd be great. And then for the good guy scenes, let's spice them up, make them more heroic and slow mo and bullet timey, and with some Zack Snyder in charge of those scenes. Oh, okay. You know, hmm. Sorry, we won't get that's a whole nother debate yeah, for this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Love the debate to talk about that at some other time. But anyway, oh, sorry. <laughs> I guess it's a trigger button for me, Zack Snyder. <laughs> um, my good guy scene, actually, I think I would do J.J. Abrams because he does some amazing reboots and he gets in these moments that i think huh. are just great and he does some good action scenes i don't yeah. care if there's lens flares in there let's have them in there but then <laughs> let's also bring in quentin tarantino for some of those uh oh those those hard dramatic oh, intense man. scenes so you want like skexies dropping f-bombs well, what, that's what we're looking for here. <laughs> not necessarily, but there's there's definitely some good tension there. Maybe a, a glowing thing off the camera that we don't see. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's one of JJ's lens flares. Anyway. But all right, so that's our answers for our trivia question. So you, the listener, you have a chance. Please let us know who you would choose for your good guy scenes and bad guy scenes. What two directors would you pick? You can answer us on social media. And speaking of social media... Compsats online. Receiving incoming transmission. We reach out and we we ask, what do you remember about the movie The Dark Crystal? LJ Lowry said, watched it recently, and while the puppetry and cinematography is an achievement, it felt outdated and moved at a strange pace. Huh. I'm, I'm not sure what a strange pace is. Hmm. Maybe Doctor I, I, Strange. I don't know. Could, a Doctor Strange pace. <laughs> I don't that, know. That's <laughs> probably a good pace then. Is that I, a I, Bond I, villain? <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Strange face. <laughs> That's a Peter Sellers film. <laughs> well, Deborah A. Powers, uh, she thought it was really well done. The movie was fascinating for its time. And B. Patrick Kramer. Oh, hey, Patrick Kramer. We were on the episode for Muppet Christmas Carol, which I think we both rated classic. And yeah. some other people who are lost in time might have said tragic. I don't remember. Anyways, hey, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick Kramer says, you two be kind to this brilliant original story. All right. We'll see how this episode progresses. We've been kind so far. Let's let's see how that pans out. As Wardale White comments he remembers lots of moaning hmm? <laughs> is that is that i, I think that, is that whining or mo that is, well, that's a know. weird noise whatever it is it is a weird noise <laughs> it is a weird noise <laughs> and renee bailey said i remember the nightmares it gave me as a child lol <laughs> <laughs> I think that's nervous laughter there. Like, uh, <laughs> I hope ruined so. my life. It ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
So thanks so much for responding on social media. Now let's go over the top three things we didn't like about the Dark Crystal. Starting with Pater, what's the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the problem? What's my yeah. first problem with this movie? Yeah, let's it's gotta yeah. be... Search the land, search the water, search the sky. It's whoever that radio announcer guy is. He's got to go. I I, I don't know what's going. It reminds there's something I've heard that voice in like an 80s. I don't know if it was Thundar the Barbarian or <laughs> or like He Man, like Masters of the Universe or something. But I there is I just don't like it. And you don't a league like, of wait, their own. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, a league you of don't. Their own. You, you don't like the voice? What's wrong with the voice? It sounds like a radio announcer. It sounds like... And the, the Skeksis can't have their radio announcer guy? I mean, there's one in every crowd. I mean, isn't there? You know, I guess they can, but that'll lead into my tragic maker. Okay, okay. But <laughs> what you're saying that. is, is it took you too far out of the film? Is it, it just pulled you out? or? Yeah, and you it, know, while we're on the subject of like a announcer voice, I yes. am not a fan of the narrator in this oh wait like, wait oh i thought you meant the narrator of of our audio dramas going on no right no, no 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 oh, no okay. <laughs> <laughs> nathan's great okay no, the narrator at the beginning who's like you know the journey of jen and all that kind of stuff and you yeah, know you don't like, like that no none of that none oh, of that really oh nope. that's too bad no nope. yeah I so too too many announcer funny. voices going on in oh. this movie what do you think about that uh, announcer i mean nathan well, the other thing that I don't like about this movie <laughs> is Jen. Yes, the journey of Jen. Uh, I think Jen doesn't work as a character. Right from the get-go, there's very little identification with, with him. They don't really set up his character. We're just supposed to feel sympathetic because this is the protagonist. And so they didn't really build that into him initially. And it wasn't until they did that mind meld thing in the middle that you start to feel something, but it was, I, for me, it felt too late. And then the other thing was- Wait, in, wait, you, in, you didn't like Jen? Like, you couldn't relate to him? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, you know, my entire family wasn't killed by Skeksis. No, but my like, he's like- didn't disappear before my very eyes. He's like the most human looking one. You didn't- draw a connection there no yeah no i see and yeah. i felt out of all of the creature design as i mentioned in my creature design comments before that the design that i i didn't mention him in that as my likes because i, I felt that out of all the creature designs he was very bland mm -hmm. even though he looked kind of human yeah but he didn't emote well no. um his eyebrows weren't working the first half of the movie and then all of a sudden <laughs> he's got eyebrows that are moving and he's oh, kind I of emoting that and, uh, well, obviously they had a few different puppets for when they had an actor in there climbing up a, yeah. climbing up a mountain and stuff. But yeah, the design was bland. It didn't really spark, I don't know, my imagination. And then the other thing was they had him as a solo character for a first part of the story. Mm -hmm. So he's talking to himself, which oh, right. does not work yeah. in a story. Oh, wait. So you don't <laughs> like voiceover, whether it's an announcer or a guy thinking? Just uh, not, not the way they did it here. Oh. <laughs> his his dialogue is wooden. Uh, that might have something oh. to do with the fact that he's a puppet. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> As a protagonist, I just didn't find him sympathetic. And, uh, you know, when he's looking at all the shards, I don't know which one of these shards to take. Well, just take them all. They're not that big. That's what my wife said. He's like, why isn't he taking them all? And, you know, honestly, I was like, I never thought of that. <laughs> 
And then the and then the movie it set him up for failure because we know what he's supposed to do with the shards. We know what he's supposed to do every step of the way, like almost from the first two minutes of the film. And he's like, "Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm not." And and so the audience is innately saying, "You idiot! We know what you have to do." <laughs> but he's not an idiot because he doesn't know. So the 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 script didn't take the audience along with the discovery. Uh, along with the protagonist, so the protagonist seems a little dull. So Maybe. I didn't, I didn't think he worked. Yeah, my wife said this movie's made for kids, but it's too scary for kids. And I was like, well, well, what makes you say it's made for kids? But maybe that's one of the things that it's made for kids, where like mm. you kind of let the audience know what's going on way before the the characters do. But that's an interesting point. Did you not like Jen, uh, Pater, or? No, I did not like him or oh, it, it or bad. her or whatever he had going on there. Okay, um, I, I was not a not, not a, a fan. not a fan, not a fan. And oh. and I, I and I would say the same of the internal monologue that he's kind of saying out loud. You know, yeah, I had the same issue with the the 1980s Dune movie. Okay. I'm like, you don't you don't need to do this, guys. I mean, just get good performances and a better script. You know, to to allow us to feel what they're feeling and stuff. I mean, it's or you you bring in another character that they can talk to, even if it's like a uh, like a, like a not a real character. Like if it's a, a dog, if if Jen had a dog, then at least I would buy into him walking along with his dog and just kind of talking and sharing his thoughts out loud. That because okay. because you can imagine that when you're alone, you know, on a long long walk with a pet, and you just start yeah. talking to your pet or whatever. But this whole like echoey thoughts inside my mind that the audience can hear i just i really dislike that device yeah. they should have given him a volleyball <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man <laughs> okay so that actually kind of weirdly ties into mine i i like jen as a character but i thought his puppetry was very mm. stiff uh, compared to all the other puppets who were very fluid and very lifelike. And I know Jen was one of the smaller um, puppets, for lack of a better word, compared to the Skeksis or the uh, the Mystics. But there were even smaller ones that I felt like can move around and feel more. He just looked like a marionette a lot of time. Very stiff, yeah. very didn't move as well. And it kind of took me out kind of like, well, it everything else is moving so well what's wrong with him i was surprised to to find out that jim jim henson was the performer of him and he's one of arguably the best puppeteers you know ever but i guess there's only i guess like what uh nathan was saying if he doesn't have eyebrows there's only so much you can do <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, and it's their it's their main character, and their main character is one of the yeah. weakest puppets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that just seemed bizarre to me, and I, I get that. Oh, he's human, so we can relate more to him. I don't know. Like, take me on the journey of the Gartham. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay, our number two, Nathan. Uh the pacing. Ooh, the pacing. Uh, it, it it almost was it, was it strange. <laughs> it was strange. No, it was just slow. I, I it wasn't strange at all. It was just slow. And it, it seemed to me that it was slow because, you know, they put so much effort into making these puppets and making this world and yeah. putting the sets together and making it look organic and real and realistic. 
Uh, and it was beautiful. But I feel like they put so much effort. They're like, we put the effort into it. We're going to film it. And, <laughs> and you're going to see how much effort was put into this. We're going to watch a Skeksis walk across the room. The yeah. entire room. Don't cut away. You won't know how he gets from one side to the other unless you film the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they just showed it all. And I felt like if they had edited out 20 minutes, which I know we're down to like a, a an hour and five minute movie. Yeah. But if they a- edited out about 20 minutes of this film, it was just it, it would improve it so much. That's interesting because Jim Henson, I'd already edited 20 minutes out. Oh, so those, that, poor <laughs> test, that poor test audience. <laughs> yeah. So another 20 minutes and it might get there, huh? <laughs> All right. Uh, Peter, what's your number two? Uh, well, I think we're going to see some overlap again. Um, it, I, I would describe it as dated puppet articulations in oh, general. In, um, in what way? Um, I would say that not just Jen, but there are moments spread around that, uh, that uh, like the Skeksis, there's moments where they seem to have like a, a rod that's running from their torso up through the top of their skull sometimes. And so they'll be, you know, they'll have like, they'll be whipping around, Mm -hmm. but it has that puppet type motion. You know what I mean? Where, where it's, where it's, it's a, it's one arm that is responsible for the whole torso. It just doesn't have the flexibility of, of an, of a real neck and spine and stuff. And so there's something just kind of artificial about it. And I Mm. think that some steps have been, you know, made in that regard. Maybe, maybe it's, it's still harder at fast speeds, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's where an argument could be made to either bring more ingenuity into the articulations and like the servo motors or whatever you got to do on the inside or have some kind of marriage between CG and practical effects, you know, to achieve mm. that kind of thing. I don't know what the solution is, yeah. but um, but it doesn't read well to me, you know. Interesting. Okay. My number two, speaking of Skeksis uh, being so awkward, I thought they were annoyingly whiny about not just, <laughs> not just Chamberlain with this, you know, that... At, that actually wasn't as bad as I remember. I was I was dreading that, and it wasn't as as bad. I used to use that sound to torment my brothers. It was <laughs> yes, all the time. I just walk into a room. Mm. Uh. <laughs> Mom, he's doing it again. <laughs> See, and that's great. But when they're whining about everything, ah, the gelflings, the gelflings, oh, ah, yeah. or whatever, it just got really annoying. So. Yeah about uh where's my dinner and all this stuff it's just i thought there were some great moments i thought the trial by stone was great you didn't have to say it 20 times but trial by stone <laughs> <laughs> but you know there are some good moments there are some other moments that i thought I mean, maybe that's part of the editing of the 20 minutes extra 20 minutes that you're talking about nathan <laughs> just get rid of some of that whining <laughs> to comment on uh, what you were just talking about paul is i, I wrote down they were comically evil Right. Mm. So, so we got so like twirling of the mustache evil, not that comic evil. Well, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it starts off in that we've got to go get the Gelflings. We got to stop them. And we're told that they're evil. 
But then we see them kind of bumble around. We see them turn against their own. We see them fighting amongst each other. Uh, we see them uh, with uh, poor table manners. But we don't really see them do too many really evil things until it's, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the movie when they have the uh, draining of the essence thing. And you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. these guys are totally evil. You should have started with this, man. You buried the lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, um, it's just like it keeps revealing more and more. It's it's like a dinner course that gets better and better, hopefully. But, yeah, we're 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 really evil, but we're also ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I get that. Yeah. All right. So, what was our tragic maker of the Dark Crystal? What did we not like the most? What did we despise most about the movie The Dark Crystal? I'll go ahead and start because it was already said, and that was the pacing. I found it very slow. To me, that's almost the nail in the coffin kind of thing. You can have a great premise and, like we said, a great story, but when it's so slow that it makes you wonder why you're watching it sometimes. (laughs) Now, of course, I'm looking at it from today's eyes. Today, we're used to more upbeat, more, I think, because we grew up on music videos that were that just get faster and faster, especially with the video games these days. But if you want to examine the puppetry, great. Watch behind the scenes, you know, where they go into the details of the stuff. But for when telling a story, let's let's try to keep the... I was going to say, well, that's the way movies were done at that time. No, Star Wars done five years before this was done way faster. Of course, it's ahead of its time and its pacing. Mm. But, you know, this is this is later. Let's pick it up, people. Okay, Nathan, your tragic maker is... My tragic maker is the ending. And let me uh, qualify that a little bit. Yeah, so... So you have uh, something, you, you have the Skeksis, and the narration described them as cruel. And okay. then you have the mystics, and the narrator in the beginning were uh, described them as gentle, right? And okay. the image that you have in this movie is something cruel and gentle coming together to make something beautiful. Or uh, in, I don't know, more of my terms, you have something good and evil coming together to become more beautiful mm-hmm. or ascended as it were. And so as far as messaging and and reality, I, I was really racking my brain uh, this week trying to find a metaphor in natural life, in everyday life where you you don't see beauty coming out of the struggle with evil. No, you see evil and good combining together to make something beautiful and ascending. And I couldn't come up with something. I'm not saying that there isn't any good examples of that, but from a philosophical tone, that that's a hard, uh, that's a hard sell. And it's mm. kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So for me, like seeing that it was like, Oh, this, mm, this doesn't jive. This doesn't seem like re- the reality that I live in. Okay. So that ending just weirded you out too much. Actually, I'm going to talk a little bit more on that in our spiritual speculation. So, uh, Paul, how can someone get on board and listen to the spiritual speculation? Well, let me tell you. There's, <laughs> I'll have our announcer guy who's totally annoying in this movie say, <laughs> to be a patron and to hear our spiritual speculations, go to patreon.com and you can also go to retrorewindpodcast.com and find out how to support us there. So let's go, Peter. What's your tragic maker? Okay, this is not a statement about whether or not the film does a good job in pursuit of its goal. Okay, this is about how I feel about this movie. 
Okay. And I think it needs freaking lot a ton more fireball spells. It needs like plus three <laughs> oh, throwing axes. It needs like some brutal D and D vibes to it. This is silly. This movie is silly. It's a silly children's movie, and I want nothing to do with it. Okay. Oh wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. okay. Let me let me walk that back. Let me walk that back. I don't I know do. if there is coming back from that. He's walking away from his microphone, folks. No, no, no. Storming me, out of the room. Let me walk that back. I do want I do want something to do with it once a year, and that is on Thanksgiving morning. This is a uh, uh, my first memory watching this movie was when it released uh, when I was a kid on TV for the first time. It was on, over oh, Thanksgiving no. weekend. Oh, so nice. now it's a tradition every Thanksgiving morning while I'm getting the the dinner ready and stuff. I just put on Dark Crystal just for the vibes, you know. Oh. You do um, that now? Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I just watched this one just a couple of months ago, and when I rewatched oh, it this time, yeah. Well, I did. Wa- I did kind of watch it again this week, but I was doing getting some work done at the same time. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I'm very familiar, you know, with this movie. I watch. Okay. I watch it every year, at least, you know, uh, some semi distracted, but I'm watching it. But no, as far as like sitting down and giving it my full attention, no. No, this is not a movie for me. It's it's silly. Like you guys talked about already, the bad guys are not threatening. They're all muppety in their voices. And the the characters are freaking superficial. This is like clearly made for children. Now, re- regarding, you know, like, is, is it made for, you know, t- is it too scary for kids or whatever, you know? I, I think that it's made for a narrower audience of children than it than than it could be maybe i think in some ways they were trying to make it appeal to adults or maybe mm-hmm. going for the tweens or something like that the scariness factor does mean that it's going to be a little scarier for really little kids mm-hmm. but at the same time i mean grim's fairy tales were scary and you know so there's some there's something to be said for movies that you know, can scare kids in a safe environment with their parents to, to walk them through that experience. But right. but it does not hold up as scary, except for the one moment with the draining of the essence, you know, in that business. That was the one good moment for me watching this movie. And oh, the rest, wow. the rest, I was like, <laughs> I'm out. I want out of here. <laughs> it's silly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. You mentioned, uh, you know, you want fireballs and, and fighting. <laughs> and when they first bring out the swords, you're like, yeah, we're going to see a sword fight. And they're like, no, we're hitting a rock, man. We're, yeah, yeah. Come on. What <laughs> the crap? <laughs> <laughs> I want gelfling blood. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Alice, we've entered all our likes and dislikes for the movie The Dark Crystal. Let's go ahead and give our final rating. Firing solution complete. Rating salvo at the ready on your mark. Peter, what is your final rating for The Dark Crystal? Some A movie that you said you want nothing to do with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is my fourth time on the show, and yeah. I still am a bit confused about the rating system. Um, okay. So here's, I looked up the definition for the word classic. Okay. The, 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 the definition I found was a work of art mm-hmm. uh, of recognized and established value. Okay. Uh, this thing uh, is certainly has nostalgic value to me. 
but I only want it in the background playing when I'm making Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner. I don't want to have to sit down and watch it and give it my full attention. Mm. But uh, given the definition of the word classic, I cannot deny that this is a work of art of recognized and established value because it was so groundbreaking. Um, it's so memorable. And even with its shortcomings, I, I believe it's influential and informative toward the work of others who want to incorporate practical creature effects and puppetry into their films. This is absolutely a benchmark. And if you are a film buff or a film history buff, you cannot choose to never watch Dark Crystal in my estimation. This is a classic that you should have in your mental Rolodex. Okay. Fair. Good, good explanation there. Nathan. I started off as nostalgic because I remember watching this and uh, and the some of the memories, especially with the pacing issues, uh, I could remember going back uh, looking at this. But going through it again, I watched it uh, with a friend and looking uh -oh. at it objectively through their eyes. And this is a fantasy buff, right? This is a person who loves science fiction okay. and speculative fiction in all cases. So it's not someone who's like, I only watch pretty romances, thank you. And looking at it as objectively as I could, let me back up here, right? I'm a comic <laughs> fan. I'm a I love comics. I love to read comics, but I'm a story guy. So okay. I will tolerate bad artwork with a good story. Okay. Sometimes, though, in comics, there is beautiful artwork. It's amazing. It's lush. The colors are, are perfect. The lines are excellent. And the story is just terrible. So at the end of the day, I think if there's any such thing as a universal language, it's story. Mm. And uh, and that story is king. Story trumps, uh, trumps all. So you can have beautiful, lush illustrations in a graphic novel. And if the story is terrible, it, it's it's almost unreadable, even if the artwork is good. And so that that that's where I found myself with this movie is the the artwork, if you will, the, is beautiful. The de set design, the creature design, all of the elements were there, but the character and the story and the pacing just fell flat. So I reluctantly have to rate it tragic. Interesting. Yeah, wow. I can't argue. I can't argue with that. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, my final rating. I, I too started off with nostalgic. I liked this as a kid, but I haven't seen it in a while. And that's because of typically pacing issues. But I wrote down several things that I liked. Um, only had a couple things that I disliked, and it wasn't that bad. I really like this. But again, it's not for everybody. So I'm going to go right down the middle and say nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> so that means we have a three-way tie. It's a draw. So we're going to go to our patrons and uh, see if they can help sway the vote one way or another. And we will let you know right now because we have a time machine. Hey, everyone. This is Paul from the future. And I have our final rating for The Dark Crystal. Thank you very much to our patrons who voted and helped with our final rating, which is nostalgic. So the Retro Rewind podcast rates The Dark Crystal a nostalgic film. So if you've never seen this before, you may want to skip out unless you're really into fantasy and all the puppetry that we discussed. But it is not for everybody pacing and some of the storylines that we talked about. 
If you like fantasy, this may be for you. If you like puppetry, it may be for you. If you like really slow, boring movies like uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, this may not be for you because it's a little bit faster than that. Anyway, if you've seen it before and you liked it as a kid, you probably like it again, but it does have some issues. All right, back to the past. So thank you guys for help reviewing this movie. But did you know that this show is interactive for the listeners? Yes, you, the listener. You can go vote on our movies we cover at RetroRewindPodcast.com. You can vote, buy our t-shirts at the store there. You can get bonus contents content and well i guess contents sure this contents even a word anyway that's for you english buffs out there <laughs> <laughs> you can support us on patreon by going to uh, retro rewind podcasts.com slash support you can contact us at slash contact but you can also talk to us on social media we are retro rewind pod on facebook twitter instagram and you can also watch us record these very podcasts live sometimes when francisco decides to uh show up again or we find him i'm not sure he's the one that does that he also live streams uh video games and pixel art so um I am so grateful to our guests for taking time to discuss the Dark Crystal with us. So, uh, Peter, can you please tell us how to find you online? Uh, probably the best place to find me and what I'm up to online is just ChristianGeekCentral.com. There's a weekly podcast there. Uh, I'm, I'm regularly putting out content for our YouTube channel and uh, also posting it there. Um, so, yeah, just uh, ChristianGeekCentral.com. All right. And Nathan James Norman. Uh, you can find me at untoldpodcast.com, where we produce speculative fiction every month. And I think we're up to uh, just about to release episode 85. So oh, there are wow. roughly about half hour episodes each. And so divide that by two, you got over 40 hours worth of story contents from authors from various different spectrums of, uh, of life and genres. So untoldpodcast.com, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. Nice. Right. And most of all, we appreciate you. Yes, you listening to us right now. Whether this is your first time listening to the show or you're part of the Rad Rewinder community, thanks so much for spending time with us. We really do hope you enjoyed it, and we pray that you are more joyful now than when you first hit play. I am Paul J. Powers. You can catch me at pauljpowers.com, where I have all my social media links. So come by and say hi. And finally, we are proud to be part of the Retro Junkies Network at theretrojunkies.com and the Christian Geek Central Network at christiangeekcentral.com. You can catch us at either of those, but like a Pokemon, we got to catch you all on the next episode of the Retro Rewind Podcast. Retro Rewind Mission Return to base. No, 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 wait, Alice. Don't, don't, don't go back to base. We really need to figure out how to turn that autopilot off. But really, we need to check back with the engineers. Alrighty, we think we have the data sorted on the timestamp of the TR2. Again, we're not 100% sure. We think Francisco went to the movie Ernest Goes to Camp in 1987. What? That doesn't make sense. He didn't even want to cover that movie. Why would he go there? Maybe it was an accident. I don't know, but Alice Lynn, the coordinates for 1987's Ernest Goes to Camp. Rewind when ready. Why does Francisco's scout ship keep time jumping, and why does it go where it goes? Will the crew ever find out? Stay on alert for next time. Same pod time, same pod channel.